You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts for The Setup Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. I want to say a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. Truly, I created this podcast to help those who are new to the industry, just like I was once. And I'm very happy to learn that I can also provide insight to those who have been in music for a while. I want to give another shout out to all of our new listeners of The Setup Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So let's talk about last week. In case you missed last week, we learned how Laura and Triple Tigers drove 5.5 million streams every week for Russell Dickerson's release of She Likes It. So Sam, who do we have this week? The fitting, we have Jamie Way. He has been working in the music industry for over 15 years. He designed and marketed over 100 online e-commerce stores, including Beyonce, Slayer, Snoop Dogg, Busta Rhymes, Aaliyah, Mariah Carey, Motorhead, and a lot more. He started working with Empire only three years ago to help develop and scale an e-commerce department. And this week, we discuss Jamie's role in the launch of Aaliyah's online store and the strategy it took to help one in a million hit the top 10 on Billboard charts. This episode is brought to you by Banzoogle. Banzoogle gives the tools to help musicians earn more revenue as an artist, sell merch, albums, and tickets directly to your fans on your own terms with Banzoogle. Hello, hello. Hi. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for uh, thanks for reaching out. Let me get myself set up here. I found a uh, an old uh, headset that uh, that that should work. So hopefully that'll help with the microphone. Yeah, absolutely. And you sound great. I mean, the look is uh, less to be desired, but what can you do? <laughs> it, it honestly looks like you're like a telemarketer. This is really interesting because this is a different revenue stream for artists and. I'm sure they can make a lot more when we're talking about an online store, physical items or the merch store versus like streaming where you have to get X amount to even make like a dollar. Yeah, we're really, we're really excited about it. Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, it's definitely, uh, it's kind of like relying on an older model of revenue, you know, like this is the, the merch and physicals obviously were before streaming. Yeah. But, um, you know, working in this realm inside of a label that is very much focused on streaming. It's um, in itself is, is really interesting because we've basically built out a department. Um, and in these last three years within Empire, it makes us a, a unique bunch. Um, but I think it's it's an important piece though, for sure. Even, even today when everyone's just streaming everything, mm-hmm. um, it becomes more and more crucial to have some um, physical element for artists. Mm-hmm. If, really? if their fan base demands it. That's true. Um, because some artists, uh, a lot of artists think that they should have some physical presence, but their fan base might not be ready for that. How did you get into music? Uh, that's a good question. Um, so a long time ago, I'm not trying to age myself, but um, I've basically been in bands my whole life. Um, when I was a teenager with a lot of angst, I was in um, groups out in Oakland, out in Oakland, California. I went into like metal. I got into hip hop groups. I've always been essentially involved in music. Um, my mom and dad were in music, my brother and sister, aunts, uncles, kind of born and bred into it. Um, and over the years, just kind of being a bass player, tried my hand at an artist for a little bit, as an artist for a little bit, was a producer, basically all the things, um, just trying to get involved. Um, Slowly but surely, I got deeper into some of the business side of it. Um, I actually helped uh, start a record label out in Oslo, Norway, which is a very, it's a whole different story. Um, But through that process and working with these artists out on the other side of the world, 
um, we were able to kind of grow um, a business out there. And um, I learned a lot about how to kind of take what I was doing in the artist realm and the creative world and to kind of funnel that into more of uh, tech and um, the business side. Mm-hmm. Um, this is many years ago, but it was a gradual but steady change of um, just being in the creative side and kind of getting deeper into the business. Um, but yeah, it's, I've always been involved in music. Are you still um, playing the bass? Uh, I do. Dabble. I, I dabble. I try, I'm, try, I'm actually trying to get back into it a little bit more. I have a couple kids, so it gets a little trickier to find the time to do it. Um, but, you know, I'll pick up a guitar and a bass every here and there. Um, I still have records that I produced many years ago that um, have been showing the light of day, uh, the light of day recently. So there's still like work that comes out. Um, but I, I'm not giving it as much attention as I probably should. It definitely Hopefully is hard. Yeah, it definitely is hard when you have a lot of priorities. I actually have one. Um, one of my old clients, he he's always played guitar his entire life. And during COVID, he picked it up again and he started playing at like 5 a.m. every morning because wow. like you, he has kids and takes them to school, works full time, all this crazy stuff. He got so good that he was playing like riffs from like some of the top like rock bands that I've ever heard. He was like playing songs that I've like, it was so crazy to see him as a client and then him on his social media playing. So if you feel like waking up at 5 a.m. to do this, <laughs> like it is possible. Um, but I don't know if everyone's as crazy as this guy. Um, are you from Norway originally, by the way? No, I'm from Oakland. Oh, okay. Uh, I, well, yep. Yeah. Cause when you said that and then going to Norway, I'm like, Hmm, is there a connection there? <laughs> so it's actually, if you want a little bit of a backstory, I'll make it quick, but, um, I have a very intelligent friend who came up with a website in the nineties, uh, made our own little website that was basically saying like Bay area, hip hop.com slash something, something, something. Um, I don't even remember what it was, but we had a com- we had a competition, uh, and had people send in tracks and we would judge them because we're producers from California. This is a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually had hundreds of people send in wow. tracks. And one of them was this kid from Norway. And we're like, this kid is amazing. He sounds like he's from New York. He obviously listens to a lot of New York hip hop. Yeah. But um, over time, we just built a, a relationship with him and he would come out to the Bay Area and we would go out there and back forth, back and forth. And it's a very long story that I'll save you from, but um, it was amazing. Now. I mean, it was, yeah. it was an incredible experience. I went on tour with him as a bass player, you know, went through all of Scandinavia and just like lived out there for a while and um, definitely a great stamp in my life for sure. That's definitely on my list. I would love to go over there. Uh, When I studied abroad, I met a good group of like Germans and some people from Norway, and they seem like just such good people that, (laughs) and of course it looks beautiful, um, but that's definitely on my list. No, it's amazing. It's it's like, I mean, it's, it's out there for sure, but, um, the people are amazing. The, the city and cities and culture are incredible. The food is great. It's like, it's just, it seems like it's a lot to get out there, but it's, it's worth it. It is gorgeous. Definitely. I'll, go. I'll take you up on that. I'll have to look into that ASAP, but yep. so, I mean, it, well, just from these couple of stories that you mentioned, it sounds like that you've kind of lived a couple of different lives. So we yeah, want to know, sure. Now that you're in marketing and commerce at Empire, what's your role like and how has it been over the last couple of years? Yeah, um, actually, even the, um, the relationship with Ghazi, who's the CEO of Empire, was pretty organic, too. Um, I met him um, 10 years ago when I was working at a different record label called Ingrooves. Uh, and I was at Ingrooves, I was doing some ringtone marketing and different things like that back in those days. Um, so I met I met Ghazi as before he started Empire, right when he was starting Empire. Um, And we just kind of always stayed in touch. Um, And the VP of e-commerce and products, Eamon, is actually um, who I work with and helped develop this whole department with. And I've known him for over 10 years, too. So it's it's kind of um, a regrouping in a way. 
but it's it's been very organic. Um, the Bay Area is very big and vast, and we have a lot of tech and business out here. But the mm-hmm. music business out here is slim. So if mm-hmm. you live in the Bay and you stay within the industry, you basically start to get to know everybody, um, which is great. It can be great, um, but you know the business side of the music of the music business in the Bay can be small. Um, so my role now is uh, about three years ago, I kind of started reaching out to Amen and Ghazi and saying, hey, I think I can help you guys out. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of studied in the, the realm of e-commerce and music, um, setting up Shopify stores, setting up different um, stores online, um, marketing strategies, all these different things are in my wheelhouse. This is where I've kind of learn to feed my babies with. So I'm like, I feel like I can help you in this, in this realm. And the conversations kind of grew. Um, and eventually it just, it just grew into being, bringing me on and starting a whole department. And um, we've been starting from the ground up. Like when I, when I walked in, we were already behind. There was already a project that launched and the pre-order was out and we're like, oh, okay, day one. We're like, oh, we're behind on shipments already. And it's day one. Um, but it was great because we hit the we hit the ground sprinting essentially, and we didn't have a customer service arm yet. We didn't have our mm. warehouse wasn't set up yet, but we had projects. And Empire um, is an amazing company that has tons of energy and tons of artists and up and coming artists, and it moves at at, at the light speed. So um, we kind of hopped in and just started riding this thing. And building it as I think we described it as building building the car as you're already going down the hill, and um, we have yet to figure out how to put on the brakes. Uh, but we've been kind of building this machine, but it's uh, it, it's it's been a journey for sure. It's kind of like uh, what is it? Oh man, I I I'm really bad at phrases and I try anyway. <laughs> I always try and like just today, my fiance is like. I think you just combined like two phrases together that made no sense. I'm like, you know what I mean. Um, but was it the horse before the carriage or whatever? Yeah, no, that's my like, bag. I, yeah. I will blend them, blend them all. But then you know, you get the idea. Yeah, um, you get you. Yeah, we get it. So it is mainly tasked to come in there and help develop this whole department. There was there was a presence of vinyl and some merch with Empire before, but nothing really artist specific. Nothing. Um, artists branded stores, uh, marketing plans around them. Mm. A lot of these things were missing. So um, it was cool to be able to kind of go in there from square one with amazing opportunities, you know, Um, and having these amazing artists to work with and kind of just start developing it. Yeah. What was, what was your first project? uh, Iggy Azalea was our first one walking in the door with, um, and she has a very rabid fan base, uh, and she's super creative. Um, tons of ideas for for um, merch. People don't necessarily think of her as like a merch person, but she's very into fashion, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. And that was the project that we showed up. And we're like, oh, this is already running uh, on day one. It's the you know the pre order has already been up for weeks, so um, it was it was a challenge for sure, but it was fun to start with kind of a bigger known artist with a big fan base, um, you know, and just experiment that way. Um, and it was, it was good. It actually, our, our first launch with her did well. Um, we started with doing like some single merch, mm. which I don't want to get too in the, in the weeds, but you know, there's album merch, there's like artists kind of brand merch, and then there's merch around singles and things like that, that, typically don't really resonate that well. I don't know if you've ever heard a single that you're like, I love that single so much. I want to put it on a t-shirt. Um, but it was a good experiment. We, we, we experimented with the single merch. We kind of put that out there and the other artists started coming in right away. It was, um, it went from, um, Iggy to Tyga was our, was our second, second artist. Um, and then money man. And then it just started stacking, stacking, stacking. So, I bet yeah, once once you do one, it catches on so quickly. Yeah, and Empire puts out a lot of records every week, so um, it's there's always new projects and priorities that come around, and 
music business where it works fast. So. So now do you find that um, the industry is moving back towards like vinyl and merch whenever there's a new album release? Yeah, the pandemic definitely um, changed a lot of things in the vinyl world. Um, it brought a lot of people, you know, they're, they're spending more time in their home. They want to mm-hmm. put up artwork. They want to do these things. And um, they all of a sudden have time to play records or kids who want to collect things will start to want to start a record collection. And um, the demand for vinyl is, I, I don't know the stats. I probably should have grabbed that for a hop down here, but it is, it is exponential to where it was pre-pandemic. It's insane. Um, it's insane. <laughs> I was just going to say, you just named my sister, me, and my brother all within three different demographics. My sister listens to it very, like, very often, like, all day. I just got a record player, but I like to hang up artwork. I'm, like, redesigning. And my brother's the type that is just collecting a ton, and who knows if he even listens to it. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that was kind of the phenomenon, too, for the pandemic is that the collectors, you know, people with NFTs and and different things, like, people started wanting to own and have, like, a piece of something. Um, and vinyl is a good way to do that. The trick is, though, um, during the pandemic, the vinyl industry also took a huge hit. Um, you know, warehouses shut down, mm. um, supply chain issues through the roof. So vinyl has never been more delayed now than ever, and the demand has never been more. So there's this interesting gap of more and more people want vinyl, but less and less people are making vinyl and less um there's not as much uh, even raw material shortages that are happening out there. So it's a, it's a perfect chaotic situation. Right yeah. Now. It's slowly getting out of it though. The last, the last, um, last year or so has been pretty tricky. Yeah. I've definitely experienced that um, where like I've ordered something and it just never fulfilled. Six months later. <laughs> it's a six, it's a six month. Yeah. I mean, some artists actually will wait until the vinyl is ready and then launch their mm. albums around the vinyl release. Um, mm-hmm. Most don't, so they kind of put it up there when the when the digital is up. They'll put the vinyl up, and you have a lot of new purchasers to vinyl, and people don't understand that there is this timeline that goes into it, and it could take six months to nine mm-hmm. months <laughs> to a year sometimes. So it's it's tricky. Well, it's definitely I- our, our like our our. our well, it's the most fun thing to produce and to put out, but it is the most complicated. Mm. Sure. Yeah. One of my favorite and, and with vinyl too, like, especially when you go straight to like the merch store of the artist or the record label, for me, at least I'm like, oh, there's only 5,000 copies. I got to get in on this right now. And then wait, then they literally put out another special edition, another special edition. I'm like, okay, now these colors are better than the one I just got. So now I'm like, Ugh, what do I do? So I bought another one. And I'm, See, sp- I'm speaking of I'm speaking of Red Hot Chili Peppers because they're my absolute favorite band. And so every single time I'm like, now Target has an exclusive, now Walmart has an exclusive. I'm like, God, just like going nuts over here with that type. I'm 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 feeding right into it, is basically See, what I'm saying. And we love you for it. <laughs> so speaking of that, I mean, you just mentioned like so many moving pieces. I'd like to know who's all involved. Like, what does it take to set up an online store and to actually start fulfilling these orders? Yeah. Um, so we knew right away that, I mean, my my main focus is the web design and marketing and content around the release. Um, so I'm kind of a customer-facing um piece, but I can break it down for you. So there's basically the store designer. Um, that's the person who can make it look unique. They can make, um, they can brand it correctly. Um, but then they also understand automations of the store, how to have the store communicate with customers. What happens when they buy something? What happens when they have a question? Um, what happens if they abandon a cart? You have to have like all these different elements of uh, a machine built into the store. So that's kind of my focus. Um, we also have a production manager who's a guy who says, okay, we're, we're going to make these, these clothes for this artist. They have to know exactly what 
blanks to use uh, for a shirt. You know, what's the stitch on that? Where do you contact for the vendors? Who's going to print it? Who's going to do the embroidery? Who's going to do all these different things? So he, this guy runs with all the vendors the, and, and manages the relationships. Then you have the designers of the merch and the people who make the merch themselves. Um, they're the ones that kind of, they come up with the concepts and the ideas. They work closely with the vendor manager and the production manager to make sure that that can actually happen. Um, because sometimes you can take this really pretty color that you made in Photoshop and then you, you make, um, you know, a design that goes over it and it prints over the top of a, the, the hoodie fold and all these things. And that can't happen. That's not going to happen. Like it won't happen in the physical world. Um, it looks great on Photoshop. It looks great on on a digital paste. But um, sometimes people will come up with an idea that is very much like a cut and sew a unique piece that I'm like, we could do that for you, but it, you'll have to have make a thousand of them. It's going to take six months to do it. We'll have to do it overseas. So there's a whole process uh, of designer and production um, communication that's really key. Um, Luckily, I try to stay out of that as much as possible um, and just focus on marketing and design. Uh, then we also, ha you have to have your customer service arm that is there to answer all the questions. I do not want to be the guy answering those emails. Um, as we started this this department, I was the guy for a little bit. And I was, no, 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 we can, we can not for this. you. No, this, you can't do it. You need You need a designated customer service arm. Um, and then you have to have a warehouse and you have to have a place to store all of this, um, all of your SKUs, which are your products. You have to have a place to, uh, that houses them that can hold the inventory and can fulfill them in a timely manner and knows how to count the inventory, how to make sure that that's synced with your store so you don't oversell. So those are the kind of pieces, um, and the pillars of basically running an e-commerce store. There's a lot of other nuances to that for sure, but that's kind of like the staples. And that's how we started. You know, we started with um, basically four of us. They were running all the, all the things. Um, we now have, a, I believe we have seven, um, but it's still tight. Like we're still like, we're still growing um, and, and kind of expanding our team, but it's a, it's a, it's a scrappy team. Um, but it's it's really like getting these elements down correctly is the only way to make it work. Because if you don't make that happen, no one will want to come back to you. You won't be able to get clients. You can't keep clients. Um, customers these days uh, are savvy enough to go onto social media and complain. Mm -hmm. and it's just a bad look if things go awry and blow up in your face. So you want to avoid that and get these elements down for sure. Yep. And it's crazy to look back at all the things that you all have done, it, like with such a, with, with, with the limited time that you have, it's crazy when you all have one goal. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel seen right now. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah. It's and and this age too, it's like, we move so fast. So you have to be able to be very nimble mm -hmm. and deliver, um, so it's, it's continually a challenge, but uh, that's part of the business for sure. Yeah. So talk to us about the project you took on for Aaliyah. Yeah, um, that was really exciting. So Aaliyah um, had never, um, basically the Black Round catalog, which is the, that's the label that, that, that owns the rights to Aaliyah's music, mm -hmm. as well as um, Timbaland and Tank and other artists, um, they'd never really been on streaming services ever. So, um, you know, Aaliyah goes back to like her first album is 90. 90. Yeah, it's like mid 90s. Yeah. Say mid 90s. Um, and they had never really gotten into the realm of, of online and stream services. So Empire was able to acquire the rights and partner with, with Blackground. Um, and it was incredible. You know, we got the we got the call to say, "Hey, this is project coming out. It's very confidential, um, but this is you know here's our rollout plan." And we kind of all kind of came together and looked at what the you know what artists we were working with, and then try to craft a plan. I there's a Empire has an amazing 
uh, staff of A&Rs, uh, digital marketing guys who just focus on, on like streamings and, and YouTube views. Um, we have um, product managers, um, communication specialists. All these people were all like huddled in a room and figuring out the plan. Um, and it was really fun to watch. It was incredible to be amongst these people who are just uh, great at what they do. So um, this rollout was was really special. It was very hush-hush. We didn't want anything to be leaked because there was a lot of, um, you know, the, her fans, Aliyah's fans especially, were just kind of starving for this content. Um, so it was done with a lot of care. The people who especially were crafting how it was going to be presented um, to the public were trying to do it as true to form to Aaliyah and as, um, as sensitive to Aaliyah and her, her legacy as possible. Um, so that was really interesting. It was cool to be, um, you know, I'm an e-commerce guy. I'm a, I'm a marketing guy. So there's like, I have my space. But to see everyone else's input and to see how they crafted together the rollout was really cool. Um, I mean, I've been in this business for a long time, but that was, uh, I, I feel like, one of the, the more interesting and educational things I've, I've done and been a part of. Um, so long, long answer to that. Once the rollout was um, scheduled, we started looking into what will the site look like? You know, mm -hmm. we don't want to do like a normal... Um, just kind of Shopify theme. So um, we ended up doing, we, we worked with an incredible uh, website designers and they, they collaborated with us and designed a whole um, store essentially that was beautiful. They had all these different visions and thoughts and, and it, it became this like this giant project amongst itself. Um, and my role in that was figuring out how to, market the store, how to make the store operate with automations, how, how are our email drips doing, how are our SMS, like text drips, what is, what is our YouTube ads looking like, how do we build our lists, how do we do these things. It was a little bit different for me because typically I was in charge of the whole store design and all things, um, but this one really allowed me to focus in on um, kind of like the omnipresence of the mm -hmm. release. Like how is it going to touch all these different spaces and live in this in this world at launch? So when it happens, it's like this this rollout. And when it's and when making when the automations click in, they're perfect and, and they're interesting and the content is great. So um it was a lot. I mean I, I'm I'm definitely giving you a, a a giant overview, but um it was a really fun project. And I really felt like I learned more about e-commerce marketing through that project than, than any other project. Yeah. And thank you for that overview because we have a bunch of questions for that. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you, you stated that her fan base was starving for an online, like an online store presence and, and merch. How could you tell what are you looking at? Where are you looking to see that her fan base actually wants to buy um, merch or any of the other products that you put on the online store? Well, the merch part was actually pretty interesting because um, there's all you could you could buy merch, Aaliyah merch at Target, Amazon. That's, that's what I was gonna say. <laughs> Hot topic. Amazon. Yeah. It's it's everywhere. So um, that was I think probably one of our biggest challenges, and also. Um, to get back to your question, um, the main driver and, and hunger that we could see was, was just the basic like comments online on, on under like random YouTube videos of, of people just putting up the music by themselves. And you can just see this long list of like, where is this? Um, uh, you know, even seeing like the, the random kind of ripped YouTube videos that are up there and how many views are getting on their own, you know, it, and people talking about it for decades and decades that where is Leah? Um, it just was, it was time. You could tell there's, there's a generation that went by that never really knew her music because they never streamed it. Yeah. So, and, um, and you know what else too, as you're talking through it, um, like right now is like a very nostalgic time. Like even as you mentioned in your background, yeah. punk, 
that's coming back like crazy. Like all like whatever generation is leading this, <laughs> it's probably millennials. Yeah. It's, it's like all that type of genre and music is coming back. And I think this is a perfect time and it makes complete sense to me. Yeah. I, someone told me that a lot of the was driving the nostalgia is that people wanted a world. They want to remember a world that was more simple <laughs> before the pandemic and before all this crazy stuff was happening. So part of the things that's driving this hunger for nostalgia is that maybe it seemed like a more simple world back then. That's I don't know. So that's true. Probably, it might be too deep, but that's, mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, that makes sense to me. Um, I have. Yeah. And I have something that might be a little bit deeper. I tend to um, watch the same TV shows and movies over and over again. And I actually read something recently that it's like actually a psychology ter- like phenomenon going on where it's calming. So those who are feeling anxious or outside circumstances are causing them to feel different, aka the pandemic, that type of, you know, what's going to happen calms you down. And when you hear music like that, that you already are familiar with, it has a calming presence. So that could be it. (laughs) That could be, I mean, like it's where there's enough surprises happening every day. It's kind of nice. Like, Like, I don't, yeah. Like, I don't want anything new anymore. I want to listen to what I'm used to listening to forever. Yeah, Um, but that's that's a good, that's insightful, though, because I think the timing was right. Um, And Blackground Records knew it. I feel like they knew the the time. And Empire, for sure. Um, Yeah. And um, to go back to the merch side, that was tricky for us because uh, also a lot of times record labels will have the rights to the album images. We don't Mm. now all of a sudden have the rights to all things artist. Um, and that's something that's very important and keeps us kind of, it gives us parameters, but we're basically limited to a lot of times you're limited to what's on the album. Um, and then you pull from those elements and try to make that into something unique. Uh, and that was the case with Aliyah's release too for us. So we had to figure out a way to make unique ideas and merch that wasn't in Target and Amazon mm. and everywhere else. Um, but also we had to work within the, this box of, of um, album rights, essentially. I was going uh, to was, ask you that actually, like what types yeah. of products and how to differentiate from what's already out there. Yeah. And that's where you have to, like, you have to rely on um, the experts in the field, you know, that's when you go, okay, this is, this is a very specific and unique case. Um, just like with the website designers, we wanted something very unique. That's out of the box. Um, go to the experts, you know, with the designers, we wanted to do something that's like, here are your parameters, give us something unique. And they were really able to pull um, some amazing pieces and kind of put it together and, and, and do some, some cool stuff. Um, and this goes back to, the importance of having uh, a production manager that knows what they're doing because the designers are like, here's our design work. You paid us for this collection. Here it is. And um, then you go, okay, how do you make that? (laughs) Where do you get this produced? Do you get it produced in the United States? Do you go to, do you go overseas to like, what's the thread count on the, you know, all the specifics have, have to be put in play. Um, so that was really, it was interesting to watch. Um, there was a lot of, you know, tiptoeing and dancing around to make it, to make it release, but uh, it turned out to be really successful. It's yeah, incredible so, to hear. <clears throat> yeah, that is. And so I know you did a little bit of a high level, but so what were the tasks or the priorities throughout that four to six month period of this, of this project? Yeah. So there was, the idea was we were going to, we weren't going to make people wait a lot in between the releases. So the releases came um, back to back. So Aliyah's rollout um, really was basically every other week, sometimes every week, there was a, a new album coming out. So it was like this kind of, we, and that was by design. Um, it was just part of the, the giant rollout plan. Um, and one of the ideas was, you know, hopefully we can get her to chart and we can do something that that will really get her to be in the forefront again for Leah specifically. 
And my job was to drive, um, first of all, to do a lot of merch, obviously, mm-hmm. but um, we w- wanted to drive a lot of um, true purchases, like digi- uh, digital downloads through the store. Um, that was one of our big drivers. And vinyl, um, because of the, de- the delays that we talked about, you can only uh, register vinyl to billboard when it's physically delivered. So none of those vinyl purchases that you will do as a pre-order would count towards your week one sales until they're actually physically delivered. Mm. Um, So that makes vinyl irrelevant (laughs) because not irrelevant as far as actually the the great product of it, but going towards um, if you're trying to chart or if you're trying to get onto the billboard charts for that first week, it's not going to help you um, unless you have it in hand. So one of our main drivers was figuring out, you know, ways to entice people to have um, digital downloads through the store that goes along with the merch pieces. Um, and that was a big challenge is like figuring out how to move thousands upon thousands of these downloads when people are just, is just about to go streaming. Like, yeah. What drive people to do it um and there's different ways of doing it um and you know i won't give away all the tricks but you know we were we had ways to make that a, a unique experience and unique um album covers and different ways to on online mm. and through the store only that um kind of gave it a, a fun little twist and helped us with that yeah no that i mean yeah that that it's true because uh, I mean, as a consumer myself, if I can get something for free on one platform, there has to be something, unless I'm like a super fan, of course, because you always want to yep. support someone, but there's got to be something that makes it a little bit more exclusive and like as if you're part of a club in some way. Um, yeah, exactly. And, I, and to I like own, that. like, it's the idea of owning it, you know, because, um, digital services can take things down and shut down yes. and change. And so the idea of ownership was big and owning it at its highest level, you know, cause we deliver it at, you know, lossless waves and big files. And so you have to kind of, you have to educate people that, you know, this is actually worth it. Yeah. And you're getting at a good price for it and it's yours. Like no one's going to take it from you. Um, some people get it. Some people don't, but the ones that do, you have to go find them. Yeah. And that's so true because I think, I think a lot of people, I think we all forget that, you know, if we're listening to music on Spotify, like if you don't download something and there's no Wi-Fi or, or it like, um, goes down for a day, we're without music. So I think about that all the time, actually, like the, how much I rely on cloud-based services that I don't own. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. And I mean, I, I do too. I used to go to record stores and have a record collection and do all the things. And now I've gotten lazier and just stream it. Um, but if there's an album that I love, love, and I need it, I'll go, I'll go buy and get download or I'll go into the record store and buy it. Um, but those are, we are few and far in between. Most people don't really operate like that. Um, so it was, it was interesting. It was a challenge to do it, but the hype and and the buildup, uh, of her first release that we did um, for one in a million was was big, and she ended up getting um, on the she got top ten on the Billboard for the first release and for her first week's release. And yeah. um, she didn't do that the first time the album came out in '96. So like it was like this, it was, it was a big victory mm-hmm. moment, and we felt very proud for that um, and happy about that. So that was that was a big moment. Wow, and so what would you attribute, what do you think um, caused the biggest um, factor in hitting the top 10 on Billboard? It had to have been my marketing campaigns. It had to be. Um, It It was my upsell campaigns that did that. Um, No, I think it was, people were just so excited for it. There was a great press release around it. Um, Mm. Unfortunately, there was like a little bit of controversy around the release just because of it's been so long and there's a fam. there's a whole history behind, um, behind it that kind of built up the story around the release. But I think it was just people who were anxious for it. 
Yeah. And you couldn't escape it. It was everywhere. Um, we have an amazing team who has great relationships with all the, uh, the DSPs that mm-hmm. were able to get those banners in front of all the eyes. Um, you know, it's, it, the machine was working properly to support it, but it's really the hype of her music and just to be able to hear it for the first time is like her talent and her music and hearing that for the first time, just by clicking a button and you could hear it anywhere was the anticipation was so high that um, it just drove, it drove the streams through the roof. It was amazing. That's so exciting. Since a lot of our listeners are indie artists, what is one priority that if they're thinking about opening their own online store or thinking about selling their own merch? That's a good question. I think it it just depends on, I feel like almost every artist has a feeling that they can sell merch mm-hmm. um, and that their fans really want that from them. And maybe they do want that from them um, at the show. Maybe it's there's a, a, a merch line at your show and, and it, that's a sign that maybe you should do it online. Sometimes that's not always the case because there has to be um, having a new store uh, and having a, a fan go in and enter their credit card information into this new store and wait for it and all these things. There's a lot of trust and it's a lot. And those have to be incredible super fans that do that. Um, so you have to know your that your fan base actually wants that from you. And I think that opening up the communication early with them and almost asking them in your own artistic way, mm-hmm. if, if that's in, if, if that would resonate with them um, is important because getting them involved, especially if you've never done merch online, getting them involved almost in the design process um, and, and the rollout process and opening up the communication with them um, will only help you because I think this day and age, especially with the, we're just always on the scroll, the more content that comes out about the release, the hype that comes around a release, the excitement that you can build into a release, just like an album should be applied to a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're putting all that effort into it and creating Mm -hmm. those like partnerships with like, I'm assuming not everyone's going to have like the resources like you do right now, especially if they're on their own, they probably have to partner with, you know, a t-shirt production company, a fulfillment center, because they probably can't keep it at their house. Like all that work to, to not know what your fans want, if they even want it. And it happens a lot happens a lot. So I, I do think that um, early communication about it is important. There are services out there like a Printful, um, Teespring and things like that, where you can do straight um, D to G, like direct to garment so that you only sell, um, mm. you only sell what is, what is actually bought. You're only producing mm. what's bought. Um, and Shopify has an integration in the back end for that. So you're only getting charged um, per purchase, which is very helpful. The quality goes down a little bit, obviously, and the simpler, the better. Um, when you use those kind of services, you don't want to do any, like an elaborate design, but that could be a good way to test the waters um, and just say, hey, this is, I wonder if this is uh, a good fit for me. Amazon does the same thing right now too, as well. They do a um, direct-to-garment um, service that you can sell um, through Amazon. So if you didn't even want to do a Shopify store, you might even be able to like contact Amazon music and and work through that realm as well. But ultimately, um, it's really about finding a way to build up the hype, like, Mm -hmm. like an album release. Mm -hmm. If you know how to build up a hype of an album release and you can get some streams, you have to approach. I know sometimes t-shirts don't seem as, uh, like, sexy as album or as important sometimes but they need to be treated as this release they need to be the content has to surround it there has to be excitement built around it before it's launched um because you can put it up there and you know people said people put fire emojis under your post all day long but no one goes into the link goes into the checkout enters the credit card information mm-hmm. and waits for you to deliver it. It, it that's a very small um, group of people 
I mean, typically like um, an e-commerce store that's operating decent and doing well has like a 5% conversion rate. Wow. So a hundred people who show up, 5% of those, five people out of that hundred will buy something. And that's like a good um, store. That's mm-hmm. a store that's operating well. Yeah. That's- yeah. Now you can find ways to retarget them and have them come back and, you know, abandon cart things and have your, your advertising kick in for the people who showed to a page to the left. There's tricks to get that conversion rate to come back up, but you have to keep that in mind that, um, that hundred people, maybe five will buy. So you have to figure out, okay, how do you get that hundred to be a thousand, 10,000 yeah. bigger? How do you, how do you build the hype up, you know, and just posting a, a posting a shirt on IG is not going to really do it for you. And um, that's what's so great about this conversation, because a lot of our past conversations are really about the initial awareness piece and building that following. But this is really down the funnel and they really need to be invested and have the intent to support an artist. And that's what I really like about this. It's a different way of thinking. And for those listening, they have to they have to know that this conversation is it's not the starting point when you're a new artist. Like it's nurturing your fans and your following to get to this point. Exactly. I think there's, there is that level of, you have to nurture to get to that point. Unless for some reason you, this has always been you and you've always talked about clothing and they, they identify with you and clothing. And there's, if there's a connection there, then sometimes that's easier um, for you to move merchandise. If you've always kind of had this fashion element to you. And people are drawn to you for that. That could be a good connection for you. Yeah, that's um, true. But it's really about, you know, like we, we talked about streaming and streaming um, and, and driving marketing for streams. Streams, I, I definitely don't want to diminish the marketing behind streaming because it's that's, that's mm-hmm. a hard job. Yeah. Um, but the ask is small. Mm-hmm. The ask is, is a click. This ask is way down the road this is this ask almost has you know they have a someone sometimes you have to there's there's a thought that you have to see something seven times before you buy it you know like think of how you shop online do you are you always impulse or do you look at it do you walk away do you do you float around do you have to be reminded about it do you have to see multiple pieces of content of around it do you have to see someone that you know wearing it? There's all these psychological elements that go into e-commerce that sometimes um, just need extra hands and extra guidance to really make successful. That's a really Absolutely. good way to end it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's just all about priorita- prioritization um, as well for the artist. It is. But- and I, I do think, I feel like the physical element is important for some mm-hmm. people. And, and I don't want to, I, I do think that it's worth exploring. Mm-hmm. I think it's about creating the conversation about it. And then once people get to your store, if you can drive them to your store, make sure that you're pixeled and you're, and you know how to track them so that you can talk to them again. Another so good tidbit good. that needs to be another conversation because even I, as I'm in marketing, analytics and tracking and setting up correctly is a whole nother thing. Yeah. And I mean, like one last little tidbit that I'll add too is even with our biggest artists, um, we do a lot of list building before we launch anything. So, um, you know, we'll have artists that have millions of of followers, but before we release a collection, we have a a hype builder page essentially, which is getting people to sign up to our mm. list um, before launch. Like that's incredibly important. Like have, if that's a good way to gauge, to see if it'll actually work for you. If you can get people to sign up, um, we focus a lot on SMS, a lot of tech sign up, but if you can get people to go in there on your page, sign up and get ready for this release and and build up the hype, you can control the content that you give to them. Mm -hmm. And then you now have this information. You can communicate with them more frequently. Um, it's more of a real relationship. Um, if it's just posted online on your socials, they'll scroll through it and not really get engaged with it. And you don't know how to communicate with them again. So I definitely would focus on list building, um, before every drop. Thank you. That was, yeah. What do you want to be known for? 
Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> got to start. We got to start that. deep and end deep. <laughs> uh, I want to be known for um, just being, uh, you know, being transparent, being true, and being authentic about everything I do. Just being like very genuine. I, I don't care about a fame of a, of a store release. <laughs> That's nothing about that has very little to do with me as a person. Um, I, I feel like I would like to be known for being genuine with everyone I connected with, um, being helpful everywhere that I can. But no, we really appreciate that. Also, really quickly, does anyone ever tell you that you look like someone? Yeah, what do you think he looks like then? <laughs> I'm trying to pinpoint it. Like, I feel like an actor or something. I don't know. I'm trying to like, as you're just talking now, I'm like, who do you look like right now? <laughs> who, who, did you, who, who do people tell you? Actually, I used to, um, what's the guy that did, uh, uh, old ladies when I was growing up used to say, I look like Paul Newman. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> oh, I don't really know what he looks like. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, it's the dimple. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Oh, Old ladies love dimples. <laughs> I get and Paul Newman. So there you go. Oh my God, is that the okay? So now I'm getting off track. But is that the guy who like owns Newman's like sauces and stuff? Yeah, it's like, like the sauce guy. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> is it really? Yeah. Oh man, if I was the actor, Paul Newman. I don't well I the actor turned sauce guy. Yeah. Oh, is it? I didn't, oh. Yeah. So I never knew if they if they were saying that I look more like the sauce <laughs> version of Paul Newman or the actor Paul Newman. Yeah, maybe but one of his characters. That, no doubt I no joke. I heard that at least 10, 10 times growing up from random different people. So. That is wild. So it must Listen, be true you, you, in some way. <laughs> Thank you. And sorry for sidetracking because I had to ask. Thank you so much. Honestly, this was great. We really appreciate you. We want to stay um, connected. If you need anything from us, let us know. Cheers. Take care. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review the Setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com.